Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, November 7th edition of the show, or should I say a Daylight Savings is Over edition of the show. Did I get that right? I, I forget. Are we now in Daylight Savings Time or is Daylight Saving Time? All I know, all I know is uh, spring forward, fall back. Yeah. That's literally all I can all I can say. And oh, no, we are no longer in daylight savings. Daylight savings is March thirteenth to November sixth. There you go, folks. I mean, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I it hate sucks. It. I, it's I, the, it, it's the unfortunate byproduct of this time of year. The, this is like the only thing I really don't like about the holiday months. Is well, this? And I think it it might change next year. I feel like all of the U.S. is potentially changing to be on daylight savings time all year long next year i I don't know i actually just want to know the reason behind this like it must be something really outdated that doesn't apply anymore think and i could be completely wrong so don't take me as gospel on this i think it has to do with daylight time and farmers and something like that but that also doesn't seem right because the amount of time during the day hasn't doesn't change it's just arbitrarily different in terms of what hours it sets and what hours it rises. Yeah, I don't also, know. My entire day was screwed up because I'm used to leaving for work in the dark and coming home in the sun. And yeah. granted, it was rainy today, but it still was the exact opposite, and I hate it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's hard. It's hard on the body. It's hard on the mind. But you know what? We're going to stay strong, keep the mind sharp. And, we're we're going to keep grinding here at Crash the Pond? Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna give you guys the content, the the ducks content that you're you're all looking for. I do want to bring back though, uh, an age old, celebrated, internationally acclaimed bit uh, that I feel like I've I've left on the shelf for far too long now, collecting dust. You forget about a bit. What? What? And that, what now? And, and that would be. Oh, that's actually a good reminder. I have two two issues I want to raise. Save, save them for the end. Save them for the no, end. No, no, we're doing it now. No, um, save, save them for the get, end of the episode. People want to hear about the ducks. Guess today's obscure holiday. That's all. You get one of those. Uh, obscure holidays for today. It's November 7th. Uh, uh, National Black Cat Day. Today is... It's not the answer. Although I'm pretty sure there there must be a holiday for that. It's uh cook something bold and pungent day. <laughs> also, wow. Jake thinks Seinfeld is overrated. There you go. Just just throwing that out there. Okay, let's um let's talk about the ducks here. I want to start with this. Yeah. And and this is gonna kind of show where our minds are at. Yep. Uh let's start with the reverse retros. Yeah. Let's talk jerseys because let's just put it this way: the the on ice product has been uh, has been as bad as it's been this whole season. Yeah, just really quickly to to recap the week for the Ducks, they were beat the Sharks in both games in San Jose, both games in shootouts. They got demolished by the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver, and they were beat pretty heftily. I mean, it was somewhat of a close game, but not really against the Florida Panthers uh, last night. So, but. Having said that, you're right. Last night's game was the debut of the reverse retro jerseys. They were beautiful. Yeah. They were so beautiful. Yeah, they they hit that one out of the park. That that is a total home run. And for those who might not be aware, it's a white Mighty Ducks uh, jersey from the inaugural season. So no shoulder patches, uh, which is an issue, but it's okay. With the orange coloring, the current uh, colors essentially, but the orange pants, the orange pants that we were promised those delivered i gotta say 
controversial. You know, if you scroll through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram comments, are they actually controversial? There's a lot of there. There's a vocal minority of people that seem to not like these, and it makes sense. Like orange pants are not uh, have never been a norm in the NHL. But I think that for these jerseys, like they just work. They just they're fun. They're cool. And that's kind of the whole ethos of this project. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing with this entire project is it's meant to create this unique look that's memorable. It's not meant to be a long term jersey. It's not meant to be this look that stays with the team forever. And I think that with that being the case, doing the orange pants is interesting. It's different. It's going to the vibe of doing the orange pant of doing the orange with the mighty X logo. And so I think that if these were, let's go with the current pants that are black with just an orange stripe on the side, a small thin orange stripe. If it was just the reverse of that, I don't think it would have looked as good. I think it was because the fact that you have the black, white and gold striping on the side of the pant along with the orange, it really makes that orange pop and makes it look so much better also just seeing those types of like straight lines this might sound dumb to to some people but with the current jerseys and how they're all this swoop pattern on the sides it was so nice to just see these kind of straight that even their the the main the regular jersey the diagonal lines just having these kind of really standout lines it was really nice to see the jersey numbers being this uh the black outline they really stood out i don't know it everything was just really really nice about the entire look the entire jersey the orange pants were great um the only thing i would kind of say on the orange pants is if this were to become let's just say this becomes the away jersey in the future not saying that's going to happen not saying will, not yeah. saying i'm speculating on that the only kind of thing I would say is I think having the orange on the bottom of the jersey and the orange pants, it kind of blends together a bit too much for my liking if this was a regular every away game jersey. And I think that if they did a black pant, it would look a little bit better in that sense. But I don't think that that would stand out as much in terms of uh, what this program is trying to accomplish with the reverse retro program. And so that's not really a nitpick on the jersey or the look. It's just saying if that were to happen, um, I think that would be better. And can we just say, the Ducks should have those gloves every game. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned the gloves because that's the uh, that's kind of the, the dark horse star of this is those gloves, the black with the orange cuffs. It's such a small thing, but... There's no reason that the Ducks would just have an all-black white letters glove. It's just, there's no reason. They have other colors. You can work gold into there. Like, it's just so boring. I hate that teams always resort to that. And there was a time where this was their full-time glove, and I think they actually ditched it mid-season. Yeah, I was about to say that. I'm pretty sure it was the 14-15 year, and they ditched it mid-season. Yeah, I I think it was 15-16. I'm pretty sure it's 15-16. You might be right. Um, I'm seeing who is on this card. William Carlson had the the orange uh, cuffs when he was on the duck. So there's that. That, I guess, might set a timeline for that. I think it was when they were... Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Ryan Kessler, I'm seeing some pictures. So who knows? They did ditch them. You're 100% right. They did ditch them mid-season. Which is um, the biggest gaffe in franchise history. Well, they went, they went from having black gloves with orange uh, lettering on it. That was what it was. It was or- a, That to me is the optimal look. That was what they used to have back in the Reebok days. 
uh, or early when the the current home jersey was still a third jersey. I believe it was orange and lettering on the 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 cuffs, and then at some point in time it switched to just an orange cuff, and then it switched from an orange cuff to a black cuff with white num white letters. Yeah. So anyway, it it looked good. Um, quickly on the pants, I think you already touched on it, but I really like the stripe. The stripe with the gold, the, the black stripe with the gold and white outline. There's just something about it that makes those orange pants less orangey. Yeah. So it all worked together. That being said, as enjoyable as these were, and I think they were great, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them more throughout the season, it just, it's so close to being what we all want, which is eggplant and jade. Yeah. But, it, but it's just not that. And that's the hard part about this. Yeah. It's like, I can enjoy these and have a good time with them, but man, they just leave me wanting more. So. I think it's a perfect reverse retro, but I think it also highlights that the eggplant and jade is superior to it. Yeah, and I think that like what we're seeing with the Buffalo Sabres is that two color schemes in a franchise can kind of coexist. Like They brought back the black and red Goathead jerseys, so nice and so you nice. know it does completely clash with their blue and gold look but i think it's just an acknowledgement that especially as time goes on for a franchise there's other looks that segments of the fan base prefer and you're just kind of catering to everybody well i think probably i mean here's ideally what i would do if i were the if i were the samuelis and i was so dead set on keeping orange and black and gold as the primary colors for this team in comparison to Eggplant and Jade. I think the eventual path is making the third jersey your home and doing a white version of that. And so you have your orange, you have your black, you have all the gold all in there. And then just do a Mighty Ducks jersey in Eggplant and Jade as your third jersey. And it's that simple and it's quick and easy. And the thing is, it's not as if it's just the same jersey replicated because the current third jersey is different in, in a lot of fashions than the old Mighty Ducks jersey. What do you think of the notion that the Mighty Ducks logo, a, a modernized version of that, would be the, the the way to go if you were to make that like the full time look? No. Why would no. you? Why, why why would you mess with perfection? Okay, I'm just I'm throwing it no. at you. I don't no. have an opinion on it. I no. I like how it looks. No, stick with uh, the Mighty Ducks logo, Mighty Ducks jersey. I guess my only little nitpick with these jerseys is oh, the call let's hear it. is just the collars. That orange stripe is just pointless. Like it, the the orange NHL logo gets lost in the collar. It's it ends up just getting out oranged. Anyway, uh, now I'm trying to find look look at the jersey because I don't think that's something I really looked at yesterday at all. I mean, uh, if if you want to go true nitpick on these, which actually has nothing to do with the jersey itself, it's the fact that the they didn't change the helmet numbers to the to the new font. Yeah, that is an actual issue it's kind yeah. of annoying it's it, kind of unnerving i didn't catch it it was pointed out to me after the game yesterday and so it's not something i really stuck out to me i mean it it literally does not matter to no. anyone but us uh yeah but i i noticed it so fair enough okay should we talk about the actual the sport the game that's I, being yeah, played? yeah yeah i guess we probably should so where do you want to start i'll let you lead this this kind of path and take us down various different paths <laughs> okay well Let's just start here. How, you know, I think the last couple of podcasts, really this entire season, we've been preaching patience. Yeah. Where are you at on this team? 
Um, my patience is starting to run thin, and that may seem a little counterproductive because we're only one week past kind of well, us talking. that's talk. the thing, right? But but here's the deal, right? And I, I had an article up on the Sporting Tribune, by the way. Go check out the Sporting Tribune. Some information on your screen for those watching yep. on YouTube. Uh, it's where you're going to find our written content. Podcast will be on Crash the Pond. There will be written content still on Crash the Pond from our wonderful wonderful contributors there. Um, but I had put out an article saying there is still room for optimism. And while I think that is still the case. Still true. It's still true because it's still a smaller sample size, all those different things, all the things I laid out with Zegers and Terry, the the fact that the power play and penalty kill, they are fixable situations. But I think if you were to pull me out off this last week and see where I'm at, it's a significant drop from where I was. And the reasoning for that is a big push I had was that those first 10 games or so, they were playing tough teams. Seven of those first nine games, I think is what it was, were against top half teams in the league. Um, seven of 10, if you want to go that way. Um, and seven of the the following 10 games would be against weaker teams, which gave us a chance to evaluate this Ducks teams against some of their uh, compatriots in terms of being probably middle of the road teams. Because some people will say, well, their numbers are garbage and they were in the first 10 games um, and, and all these different things. But that's kind of what you expect from a middle-of-the-road team. They're not necessarily going to be able to play that well against the top teams in the league, and they're really going to have to beat the teams that are lower than them. And that is what a middle-of-the-road team that that kind of is in a position on the rise does. And I think the really disheartening thing from a Ducks perspective is that did not happen this past week for them. They were uh, significantly worse than in every single game from this past week. And... I mean, they played the Sharks, the Canucks, and the Sharks. Like, those are those are two teams that they need to be better than. Like, it's not a situation of they they can have an off game here or there. These were three straight games where they were the worst team of, of the two. And even though the results, the Ducks got two shootout wins in San Jose, like, I guess the first game was tight, but the second game was not close. Anthony Stolarz played an insane yeah, game. The, the end result of that second Sharks game really kind of buries the fact that they had i think their actual worst game of the season up until like the last five minutes or what, yeah whatever it was. so for those wondering against uh san jose in san jose they had a 49 percent expected goals four percentage per evolving hockey in vancouver it was 31 percent in san jose the second time 28 percent against the panthers 27 percent um yeah so so, so not that's, good so that's the i guess this is kind of where we're at this is where i'm at is that it's still a small sample. The Ducks still have played, what, 13 games? Yeah. Don't have a regulation win in those 13 games? Correct. They Might are the I... only team in the league that does not have a regulation win. And so it's still it's still early. I think I'm not ready to completely write anything off yet. I think that that would be Agreed. hypocritical based off everything we've said. Yep. But the problem for me is the trend. Like yep. this is trending in a poor direction and it's not really showing signs of improvement. Like if you look at the Ducks early season, first handful of games, they started off really weak defensively. And as the games went on, they went on that East Coast, East Coast road trip. They found they found a way to kind of start making things tight a little bit, low event. They had a better structure defensively, I think, starting and, with the Boston game. And ever since they kind of got back from that, it's just ballooned and they've had some 
some some performances where you're really you're asking yourself questions about what this team is or can be defensively. Now, part of that may be that Jamie Drysdale is injured and that has thrown off some of the roster balance on the back end. Nathan Bollier is playing more. But I just I'm having a hard time and I'm going to try to be as delicate as I can and as balanced as I can. But I'm having a hard time not seeing how really the coaching is failing this team right now. Because if you look at it, I think that there is still like there is talent on this roster. You look at that comeback they had against the Sharks. And yeah, it's the Sharks. And no one is looking at that team as a contender. But the the I mean, they're a team that's that's had an okay start. They're kind of middling at five on five, but the the Ducks found a way to come back in that game thanks to their top end talent. Even against Vancouver, they found they found ways to get on the board. So it's not as if this is a team that's like a true bottom feeder that's as bad as it looks. They have the guys, they have the horses to where they can score. They it's, have the they have the high end talent. Like that's yes, that's what's kept this team in games. I mean, that's the only thing that except maybe Anthony Stolarz here and there. And John Gibson had a, had a decent he game play, against Florida. He played good against Florida. Yeah, so it just begs the question, like, if you have the talent and the talent is keeping you in games, then what? why isn't the rest working? And I think in, in part, and it's not just on Dallas Higgins, but I think the coaching is, and, you know, people are going to be like, oh, shocker, crash the pond, blaming Dallas Higgins. But I think more so than ever, I've gotten the, this is the least amount of pushback I've ever gotten on criticizing Aikens this season like people just seem to agree that this has been a little bit of a of a weak spot for the Ducks in their job so far especially in the last week and a half I would say yeah yeah I I think that a lot more people are kind of having that opinion um and and I think it's easy to kind of kind of look at you look at the decision to go 11 forward 7d multiple times to start this season you look at and while doing that he has Colton White on the the team and he plays him five minutes. You you have yeah. the 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 decision to take Mason McTavish and take him from the wing or take him from the wing, put him at center, which was a good decision. Mason McTavish ha- and we can talk about that briefly. Mason McTavish played center for the first time this past week and was very very good. And granted, fourth line minutes, fourth line teammates, fourth line uh, opponents, and, and first line production. But he was excellent, and the on-ice numbers for him were really, really good over that time. And I think it wasn't just—I think the key thing here is always, especially in these really small samples, right? Yeah, it is still a small sample. The numbers can be skewed one way or the other, and I think in some ways being able to uh, see how that's happening, see if maybe it's one chance against is skewing that number one way or another. Like, I think in last night's game against the Panthers— Zegris and Terry were on the ice together for a couple of shifts. And one of those, they had like one high danger chance against, and that made their on ice numbers look bad from that perspective. Um, but I think for, for Mason McTavish, you just kind of also watch him play on top of everything else. And I think at center, everything just looked more fluid for him. He looked yeah. more comfortable. He looked strong in the defensive zone. He knew where he needed to be. And when he got the puck, he was able to transition it out. And he made Leeson and Jones look good. And that is what a good center does. A good center is able to elevate the people around him. And I think that we saw in last night's game that back at wing, he just, he doesn't have that same impact because he doesn't have the puck on his stick as much. I think he's not necessarily fine tuned to that position in the defensive zone because he's played center his whole life. And I just think at this point in time, Mason McTavish 
is probably the second line center for this team. Like he might, you can make an argument between him and Strom, but I think that it's time to start giving him some minutes, giving him some spots there. And if you put Ryan Strom on the wing, sure, you can do that. If you want to have three centers of have Strom, McTavish, Zegers as your top three centers, that's what you should do. doesn't matter that Strom's getting paid the most out of those. Build your lineup in the way that it's going to be the most impactful. And I think that that was somewhat frustrating because we saw steps forward and putting him at center, and then it's just like a step backwards. And it's this yo-yoing that I think is very frustrating. I feel like the McTavish situation is kind of emblematic of, of where this team is at because there's this possibility that it could be exciting and good, and yet it's being held back for reasons unknown. Literally reasons unknown. We don't... I I don't think anyone's asked Dallas Higgins about this. There hasn't been any public comments about it. He just got put back to wing out of out of nowhere. And to your point, and I've been kind of pounding this drum as well, is that I, I agree. I think it's time to put Mason McTavish at center. And I think the reason that things look so much better when he's out there at center is that he's able to transition the puck. He, like when he gets the puck in the defensive zone, he's able to actually carry it out or make the smart play getting it out. He is essentially Isaac Lundestrom. <laughs> but if, but no, no, but this is genuine. But if once he gets into the offensive zone, he's able to create chances for his teammates. Yeah. And that's not meant to be like, here's the deal. It's not meant to necessarily be a knock on Lundestrom because if Lundestrom is put in a position where that is what he does well, and he's surrounded by players that can really help him in the other aspect of it, that's a way of maximizing him. But putting, I mean, putting McTavish on the wing with Lundestrom doesn't really do that well because Lundestrom's going to move the puck. And here's the deal. If you watch Isaac Lundstrom when he breaks the puck out of the zone, he does a really good job of exiting with possession. He has a really good job of typically holding onto the puck and moving it all the way into the offensive zone and doing it all with possession of the puck. But that doesn't work with Mason McTavish. We just talked about it, right? He's at his best when he has the puck on his stick. That means that he does not, Mason McTavish does not have the puck if Isaac Lundstrom is there and is transitioning the puck. And that is a detriment to McTavish's game. So I, I think it's just the lineup construction. It's something we harp on a lot. It's something we can kind of go back to. But I think it's just doing this team no favors at this point in time. And I think a lot of people are looking at what's going on with the defensive zone structure. And I think you just don't have, because at the end of the day, people harp on the defense. I think that's what I'm seeing a lot. People are saying, this defense is bad. This defense is bad. And while, sure, I think playing Nathan Beaulieu as much as they've played him doesn't necessarily always work out well. Same thing with Kevin Chattenkirk. But... It's not just a defense situation, as in defensemen. It's a five-man unit issue, I think, in their own zone. And a large part of that is this juggling guys around yeah. and, and not giving guys runouts with line mates that they work with. And where and essentially, a, a big thing in terms of getting caught in your own zone is not being able to make that tape-to-tape pass when you get the puck back. And, and either just chipping it out or turning the puck over because your guys aren't where you need them to be or where you know they're going to be. And, I mean... Kind of to that point, unless you have anything else you want to add on McTavish or that point. Well, no, I, I think that it's a good point. because I have two things. So the first is that I agree with you that I think people get stuck in this trap of looking at the game as, you know, like in phases, like you're either on defense or you're on offense, like in football or basketball. But this is this is a transition game. You know, it's it's a there, there's no I mean, there's really no actual taking turns everyone has a part to play in both zones or i should say in all three zones and so if you have a forward line that doesn't have the right build and doesn't have guys in the right spots that's going to affect your ability to to break the puck out and get it into the offensive zone same thing with 
defensemen. Like if you have defensemen who can't support offensively, that's going to affect your your overall numbers as well when you're attacking. So that's an issue, and that's a good shout. The second thing, though, with McTavish is that despite his struggles on the wing and despite everything, he's still second on this team in expected goals for percentage. Like he's he all he's really done is find ways to be as effective as he can be given the circumstances. You know, whether that's making the smart pass on his own entry, whether that's finding a way to to finish off a play when he gets the opportunity and 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 get a goal out of it. Like he's really just found ways and that's really all that you can really ask for from a from a player that's still so early in their career. And I think, you know, you compare his numbers to Ryan Strom. Ryan Strom's been, you know, he's he's found ways to produce but on the ice, the Ducks are just getting clobbered when Ryan Strom is out there. And I think in part, it's because he's not really a true transition player. He needs someone next to him who can do that heavy lifting. So anyway, get McTavish at second line center now. Yep. The other thing I think from a lineup construction is, I, I know we talked about right that the Ducks are, there's some logic there with, with Dallas Aiken splitting up Zegers and Terry. Because you want to spread the wealth, you want to give yourself more talent on your top two lines to make more of an impact over a larger amount of time. But the issue is it's not working out that way. And you look at the numbers for these two, and I put them on Twitter last night. This is from Natural Statric because their wowies are are pretty easy to isolate um, two players together. And so together, they're on the ice for 55% of all shot attempts for... They're on the ice for 60% of all goals that are scored or all goals that are scored are four. They're on the ice for 59% of the shot or 59% of the shot attempts when they're on the ice are going towards uh, the other team's net and 55% of all expected goals are going towards the other team's net when they're on the ice. And when you kind of look at Trevor Zegers without Troy Terry, that just focusing on expected goals for drops from 55% to 35%. When you look at Troy Terry without Trevor Zegras, it drops from 55% to 37%. And expected goals against, or looking at just the raw numbers and looking at rates so you can isolate for uh, time on ice through those different situations. And Zegras and Terry are not only better offensively together, Zegras without Terry generates about 1.68 expected goals for, per, or sorry, uh, 1.88 expected goals for per 60, and Terry 2.16 per 60. That jumps up to 3.5 when they're together and defensively it drops from being over three to underneath three when those two are together as compared to apart. So basically at the end of the day, what happens is when these two are together, not only are the ducks generating a bunch of chances for, but they're also limiting more chances against than when they're apart. And so this is one of those situations where you split them apart and the end result of this ends up being that you get two lines that are not as successful as that one line. And so you're just blunting your ability to create offense, and you're also making your team a little bit worse defensively by doing it. And you kind of saw that at times where, let me know if you've seen this also in these couple of games, but I feel like Troy Terry, when he's been on a line with Ryan Strom and Max Comtois, he doesn't really have someone that really reads the game in the same way that he does. And so a lot of the times he's still creating a bunch of chances. But it's, yeah. create, it's creating his own shot. Yeah, a lot of times it, he's entering the zone. He's able to make a move or two, get to the high slot and take his shot. But he doesn't have puck support in the way where 
it's someone that can think the game at the level that he is thinking it and find the the soft space that he wants them to be at. And I think that's a major issue right now for this team when they split up Zegris and Terry is that they don't have someone that can really play the game in the way that those two do together. And so you're really de- uh, blunting your your offensive ability and obviously also defensively because you don't have the ability to make quick breakouts and get out of the zone quick. Yeah, no, I think that with Troy Terry, as great as he is as a puck handler and as great as he is attacking defenders off the rush and as great as he can be off the cycle too, which I feel like we don't talk as much about. Yeah, but he's really strong on the puck. Yeah, it's just like when he's the when he's on a line, like you said, with I think you said Strom and Contois, he's really the only true kind of transition threat on that line. He's the only guy who can really initiate offense with the puck. Mm-hmm. Whereas Strom and Contois are more guys who, you know, are going to attack in waves or you know whatever this kind of secondary or, or tertiary play is going to be. They're they're I mean you see it with Strom like he's very opportunistic. He's good at his off puck game is really good. The problem is with Troy Terry, when he's the only guy who's really an initiator, he's kind of forcing it a little bit. I mean, you saw it on the goal, actually, where um, Strom scored. I think it was mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And Terry just kind of kind of bulldozed his way into the offensive zone, just trying to make something happen. Yeah. And the puck base, I mean, just kind of found its way to Ryan Strom because he kind of timed his jump there perfectly. Mm-hmm. The, po- the point is, though, when Trevor Zegras is with Troy Terry, he doesn't have to do as much of that heavy lifting, and instead he can find those quieter areas, and he can really attack space, open spaces, and then he and then those skills can be put to use, and then he can really attack more compromised defenders because Trevor Zegers can get him into those scenarios, and and Trevor Zegers is also attracting a lot of defensive attention every time he's out there. And, so, and here's the thing: it Max makes Com- sense. Max Comtois has done a fantastic job. When he's, he's a perfect out- fit with those two. Because especially anytime you've seen him, whether it's mid-shift or whether those three are on our line together, whenever, whenever he's out there with with Trevor Zegers specifically, I think Zegers is the better passer between Zegers and Terry. I think Terry is the more dynamic player in terms they're, of they're being just, able to get it. They're just in, different. They are. But I think that Zegers, I think Comtois is, I think Tertiary is the best, is the way you put it. And I think that's a perfect way to put it. Because he's able to kind of trail the play and be able to kind of, be this player that is able to find the space on the ice because Terry and Zegers has soaked up, have soaked up all the pressure and Zegers has the passing ability to be able to find him out of nowhere with these ridiculous passes. And Comtois has shown the ability this year that when he's been given space and time, he's been able to finish really high end. Yeah, shots. I mean, look at the goal in the second San Jose game that, yeah. that, that saucer pass by Zegers. Yep, exactly. Comtois. Yep, exactly. And, and so it's just, the coaching staff should be seeing all the things that we're seeing. And I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to spread the wealth a little bit. I think they saw that Zegris and Terry were torching er, torching teams in the games they were playing at. Uh, but the what, like we talked about, the second line was a big issue. Yeah. And, and so the result of that wasn't, well, let's keep this line together and let's rebuild the rest of the lineup to see what we can do. It was, let's split up this line and try to spread it across that wealth. And I, while I think we talked about this, it was a decent idea. Like, it was something that I think should have been explored. But it's I understandable. Think like, you, I, should, you should try it. Correct. But I think now that we have some data on it, we have almost 100 minutes of uh, Zegers with Terry and almost 100 minutes or over 100 minutes of those two without each other. That's a, it, 
obviously there's it's not the biggest sample, but it's a decent amount of time. And I think the the early returns on that is that these two are significantly better with each other. Yeah, like the thing with with Troy Terry and, and Zegers as well is that it's not just this season. Like you can go back to last yeah. season and the season before that. Like there is actually a you know a, a much better sample just for those two than than any other combo at forward right now. And so, yeah, I think you're just kind of at the point where it just it's just not working this this kind of split the baby approach. And you know maybe it'll it'll come around. I mean, but it's just. There's been such little indication and it's not totally it's not really that difficult to understand why when you look at the different player skill sets. And that to me is why Mason McTavish can be the key that unlocks all of this. Yep. Because because he's really the only other kind of true playmaking type forward on this team outside of Terry and Zegras. I mean, Ryan Strom is kind of more of a small area um playmaker he's not a guy who's going to use the width of the ice or who's going to initiate zone entries on his own he's more of a give and go type and i really think that you put mctavish maybe strom is a winger on that line who knows with vetrano and now you're able to get the best out of those guys as well yep yep it's all about maximizing your talent putting guys in optimal positions to succeed and i think as of right now the lineup has not been optimal and i think that what we've seen over the last little bit is um it is that the Ducks have not been able to take the game to other teams, and they've had some stretches where they play well, but for the most part, they get caved in. Yeah. And, and I think that that's why. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't help that, um, you know, Pavel Regenda has been sent yeah. down. It, it doesn't help that Dallas Akins has just voluntarily trotted out seven defensemen, 11 forwards. Yeah, with with no apparent reason to like, that's the part that gets me is that, you know, 11 forward 70, you know, you see that when injuries happen or or what have you. But (laughs) why? What is the reason? I am actually struggling to come up with the reasons why he's he's chosen to go back to this well so many times. The frustrating part with that is that if you're going to go 11 forward 70, the the clear reason is to whether you want more penalty killers or, or whatever they've said in the past for that. But the issue is that you play Colton White and he plays five minutes, six yeah, minutes. He barely plays. So yeah. why why do you have a seventh defenseman then for that situation? Why not ice a 12th forward and have your full four, uh, four lines and then you're good to go? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's frustrating. Although I will say, though, that, again, to your point about there are positives. Like, you know, I had someone saying on Twitter that, oh, you know, you guys are really going from, oh, everything is positive to now everything sucks. And it's like, well... Yeah, there. That's kind of where this team is at. There are things that are really not working, but there's also things that that can work. They're just not really being used, and so that's the positive: is that this team, I think, does have talent that can turn things around. They're just not really being put in in great spots. Yeah, and I, I still think something has to change. Uh, special teams are still a major, major issue for this team. The yeah. penalty kill. Yeah, I I was really trying to watch it last night specifically. <laughs> And they run this system, and so it's not a one uh, a one two one. I think that stating that it's that is not true, and so I'm going to back off that. But what it looks like is happening is the essentially when the other team's running running a one three one power play, what the Ducks have is when the puck's up high, they send out one of the forwards to try to pressure pressure the point, pressure the puck, get someone out there, 
And then the other forward just sits in the high slot standing still. Yeah. And then and then the two defensemen are down low, kind of pivoting, going back and forth. And the problem that I have with this is it's a system that's trying to be aggressive and pressure the puck carrier, but you're not trying to make them make a pass to where they're going to make a bad pass that you can intercept if a guy's just standing still. And so it's this system that's both aggressive and passive at the same time, which results in just cross-ice passes being fed across the the ice into wide open shots that that end up going in and with high danger chances all over all about. And it's just odd to me that this has been continued to run out when it's been so poor. Yeah, I, I think that there's so many different things there, but one thing you see is that teams will move their players players around away from the puck to create passing lanes. And mm-hmm. and I think that you have to keep up with that if you're the penalty killers. And sometimes it it's just a matter of communicating. And, yeah. and and being ready for those changes because yeah it would be it would be great if all it required to be a great penalty kill is just everyone stay in the same spot the 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 opposing power play isn't going to move their pieces around away from the puck mm-hmm. and your lane is going to stay the same no matter what like yeah the pieces are going to move and you have to be much much more adaptable and i mean you know when i think of defensive adaptability and head on a swivel Derek Grant and Nathan Bolio just they just don't really come to mind. Well, yeah, and I I'll give Grant a break because there are guys that I'll, basically any guy in that high slot you watch him Isaac Lundstrom same thing standing still like th- this yeah, is the sis- like this is the system I think that is being implemented by the coaching staff they want someone high that's standing still so that you can get pucks and lanes and not end up out of position but like you said the issue is that the other team is going to be moving guys around so if you're standing still all you're doing is you're a pylon for them to pass around. Like, that's mm-hmm. all it is. And you're just hoping that maybe the pass comes to you and you can break it up. And so it's just, it's a poor system that doesn't, hasn't worked well. It's not working well. It's not, it, and something has to change. And yeah, I, I've been referencing the PDO cast a bunch because it's been an amazing run. It's, for it's them. been on a, it's been on a tear. It has been. And I have not listened to today's episode, but Cam Sharon, I feel like anytime he's on that show, says something just very insightful, very different than you typically hear. Mm-hmm. And one thing he mentioned last week, um, and I don't think I mentioned it on this episode on last week's episode, so I do want to mention it here, is he was mentioning um penalty killers. And I may have said this, but the fact that the penalty a lot of times, the most high skilled players are obviously going to be on your power play. So why would you not want someone who knows how to break down other teams' penalty kills out there as part of the penalty kill? Yeah. They they know best where the puck is going to try to go because they're the ones trying to do that on the other end. Yeah. And while, yes, I get it. Some some players may not be suited for that still in that situation. But, like, this is the exact argument. And Troy Terry, has, to Dallas Aiken's credit, he's been put out there more. The system is still bad. But... Like, this is the exact reason. Why not try Trevor Zegers out there? It may not work well, but it it can't be worse than what they have now. Yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 hesitancy there is always going to be, well, you know, you don't want to put your star players in the penalty kill because of the injury risk or... Minutes. You don't want guys blocking shots and then getting hurt. And I, I, I'm sympathetic to that, but I just think, like, the Ducks penalty kill has been so, so bad. You just almost have to shake it up just you, for a little bit. You have to try something. Like they're just not really trying anything there. Um, I guess this does bring up another point that I see some people touching on in our chat, but, and we, we actually 
bled off with this and haven't really circled back. But the Ducks blue line, uh, I don't know what to make of it. And I'm I'm starting to, to ask questions internally because John Klingberg and Cam Fowler, you know, they haven't, I don't want to say they've been awful because I feel like that's a little unfair, but it just, it doesn't seem to be fully clicking and they just give up a lot when they're out there and they're not really getting it all back offensively right now. And then outside of that, I mean, you have Nathan Bollier getting regular minutes who, to give him some credit, he's he doesn't have the worst numbers on ice of, of, of this team. But I Yeah, mean, but the Shattenkirk-Bolu uh, pairing's bad. Yeah, so like the whole point here is that it, it just doesn't seem like anything's really working back there right now. And that's, that's part of the issue, is that if you don't have defensemen who can transition the puck up, who, who can't break up passes you're going to be in a rough, rough way. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is that some like, yeah, um, I'm looking at the numbers. Shattenkirk bowl. You actually, if we're looking at the current pairings have the best expected goals for percentage at 37%, <laughs> Klingberg Kulikov at 30%, Benoit Fowler at 25%. So it hasn't been good. Um, I mean, I would like to see just Drew Hellison come up and see if he can get a run because I mean, they're obviously looking for someone on the right side. I think that pushes Simon Benoit down into a lower role where he's more suited. And you can just try out Fowler and, and Hellison and see what happens. Like, yeah. I, I, I just think that there are options for this team to call up to see what they have. And as of right now, they're kind of leaving it as hell. I think Colton White could be a better option than Nathan Beaulieu. I, I just think that there are options here. Um, but it requires the coaching staff being open to playing those guys also. Yeah, I mean, right now, the Klingberg-Fowler pairing, they're they're actually, you know, they're generating the most offense of any pairing that's playing right now, mm-hmm. but they're giving up over, and they're giving up over four expected goals per 60 minutes at 5 mm-hmm. Like, that is a lot. Like, that is inexplicably bad because Cam Fowler's been solid at 5-on-5 five five over the years. You know, it, did we underrate how bad, how much John Klingberg struggled defensively the last few years? Because maybe it was in, it was in the numbers. Like he's not a good defensive. Like he's not strong at suppressing offense against. But he's he's been good at getting it back on the other end. Yeah, and and that's just not happening at all right now. I just don't really know what you do with Klingberg, but I'm I'm tempted to say that you get him away from Cam Fowler because you're kind of wasting Cam Fowler. Well, on they him. they have. The, he hasn't played with Cam Fowler for... I think he didn't play all week with Cam Fowler. Oh, okay. Okay. He, he's been paired with Kulikov since uh, Drysdale went out. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. For some reason, I thought they, they had still played together. No, no, no. It's It's been Fowler and, and Benoit together primarily. Okay. Yeah, and I mean... Well, maybe I guess call, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, maybe call up Axel Anderson. I mean, Fowler-Klingberg, though, has been better than the other pairings have been. Yes, so, I mean, but they've still been... I mean, they've still been poor, and that's yeah. that's the issue. Yep, but I, I think maybe you look at bringing up an Axel Anderson. Maybe bring up a Drew Hellison. And just, Axel Anderson? I don't know. Is, I'm that, just throwing, is, is that where we're at? <laughs> I mean, is he going to be that much worse than Simon Benoit? I mean, who knows? Yeah, I think you start by just not playing Nathan Beaulieu and, and start there. Um, yeah, maybe bring up Drew Hellison. Like, I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is back there. The pickings are slim. I'm not yep. going to pretend and, like this is an And obviously, fix. training camp is training camp. But I remember looking at some of the numbers, and Axel Anderson actually, at <laughs> five on five, had decent numbers in don't training Don't do camp. this. I'm just, I'm just simply stating a fact. 
<laughs> we can add the qualifier that it, it was training camp so or preseason. So don't do this. Don't uh, take that as gospel. Yeah. No, I I really don't know what the the solution is in the back end. I don't have I don't have a great fix there. It's just been so horrendous in so many different ways. But again, I don't know if it's fully on those defensemen though. And maybe that sounds a little bit like excuse making, but I think this is a systemic issue. The fact mm. that you don't have forwards who are defending well, who, who aren't breaking the puck out well, like all of that contributes. Like this is a look at Josh Mahura. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, there's your example. Like, I, I just think that right now, again, that's why I would caution people from drawing this bright line between defense and offense and looking at defense. Five, five man units is important. Yeah, looking at them in isolation, that's not how it works. Like, when those D men are out there, they're out there with three other forwards. So it's a systemic issue right now. There's just something in this mix that's not working. And I really, and I think that really the way to fix your blue line is to fix your forwards, which is what we've we've talked about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Get Mason McTavish to center, quit playing around with Terry and Zegris. And then from there, like your your problems should start to to get a little better, I think. Yep. Yep. It definitely should. And and yeah, I mean then you have two lines that are gonna be able to do well for you. And, and of and course can... we, we don't know yet that Mason McTavish can handle that, but he's only shown that he can that he's well, that he's that he's prepared that he's ready when when he has played center yeah and you can build out a lineup that pushes isaac lundestrom down and they need to stop using isaac lundestrom in a quote-unquote shutdown role he has not well, just, played w- just get away from that that like whole mentality paradigm yeah in general like you don't need to ha- like you don't this team is not constructed to have a shutdown line no. if you have if you have patrice bergeron yes by all means but yep. you're not shutting anyone down with isaac lundestrom right now Nope. And so Isaac Lundstrom right now is a fourth line center. Like, and that, like I've said, that's not a shot at him. That's just a realistic view of what he that's is. That's what right he now. was always going to be on a, on a team that has top end talent. Yeah. And that's what he is. If you were to list out the centers, he is the fourth, maybe even fifth center on this team. If you consider Adam Henrique a center and eh, I don't, he fair. just doesn't play center ever. Fair. But, it, I mean, it, it really is. It's Zegris, McTavish, Strom, Lundestrom. Should Strom be on the wing is what I'm starting to wonder. Like, we never asked that about veteran centers, but, it, like, is is that a situation to look into? I, I mean, think you I think you run with him at center. I mean, the issue with Strom at wing is he's mentioned this in the past, is that he's not as comfortable there. He doesn't get his reads in the same way because he's always played center. And yeah. so he's like my worst season in the league. I think he mentioned this when he about his time with the Islanders, and it was that he really d- uh, fell off or did not have a good season that year because he was not comfortable playing I, yeah. on, in his off position. I guess the thing that I struggle with is that if you go with this top six that I keep clamoring for, uh, where you have Zegers, Terry, Contois, and then Henrik, uh, McTavish, and Vetrano, I don't. You're not really left with a whole lot to work with in the bottom six for Strom. Like you're gonna have to play him with, you know, Max Jones, uh, yeah. Jakob Silverberg. Like, I think a lot of people look at that and they say, "Oh, you're wasting five million dollars now because he's not a top six center." At a certain point, you gotta call a spade a spade. Like, if if he is not uh, the best fit in the top six, you don't have to force it just because of the price tag. And I think you've even already said that. Um, also. Five million dollars is not this. That's a third. That's third line center money it's in the modern not day this, game. I, I, it's not this albatross contract. I think people really don't 
understand like contract values as a percentage well, of the cap these days. Yeah, I think that's the key because I think when the Henrique deal was signed, when the Silverberg deal was signed, sure, it's the same amount of money, but the salary cap was a lot lower back then. Yeah. W- when those deals were signed. So at percentage of cap, also where the Ducks were and all these different things, it was a much bigger issue at that point in time. Right now, the Ducks are not even close to the salary cap ceiling. The The percentage of cap is much lower. The pa- cap is going to rise also. Yeah. Um. And so there's a whole lot there. I think realistically, what the Ducks need to do, and or what they should do, is they should look at recall or calling up some of the younger players that really should start getting a shot on this team. If this is, we, we've seen where this team is at, right? As currently constructed, they haven't won a game in regulation. They haven't won a game in regulation. They have not looked good. Um. It's time to start bringing up the Jacob Rose and Braden Tracy's and getting them experience in the NHL because at this point in time, the alternative is not much better. And so it might as might as well get them time in these spots where you're hoping they're going to develop and become. And so whether you call up both Perot and Tracy and put them with Strom, and that's your third line, whether you call up a Pavel Regenda and put him there with one of Tracy or Strom or Tracy or Perot. Like I, I just think the argument for not having them in it in the NHL was that this was a team that had other pieces that were in better spots for it. But I think right now, well, you're just, just not really that, getting that just much. Hasn't been, that just yeah. hasn't been the case. And so I think why not give them a shot, give them a 10 game stint and see what happens, man. Isaac Lundestrom's expected goals for percentage this year, 31.7%. <laughs> like the yeah. ducks have just been ran over when he's on the ice it's just insane silverberg 29 percent brett leeson 28 percent Derek grant 27 percent like Derek grant when he's on the ice the other team is getting 73 percent of the offense basically like that's not good <laughs> yeah you're just you're not gonna win a lot of games when you have these bottom six players that are just bleeding offense against like I think that's my whole, I think that's why I'm kind of talking myself in that top six in part is because even if let's say, okay, sure, it's not ideal that Ryan Strom is playing with Jakob Silverberg and Max Jones, although maybe you could have him with Jacob Perot or Braden Tracy. Uh, at least at that point, you have two good lines and you can live with the rest. Like you can, you can find a way to make that work. Whereas right now, you don't really have anything going on that, that's consistent. Like yeah. two two good lines for this team right now, you're you're gonna win some games in regulation. I promise you that. <laughs> I mean one one excellent line, one like, excellent line, and you know one potentially good line. We don't yeah. know yet that that, yeah. that would work, but I think it would. Yep. So, man, somehow we are almost at an hour. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we start getting into questions? Uh, I just wanted to shout out Max Coltois. I think that I had a lot of critiques of him over the over the summer and you know his his on ice numbers are still they're they're not excellent but he's also been used all over the all over the lineup and when he's been with Zegras and Terry he's fit the bill and he's produced and I I don't know I see growth in his game which I haven't seen for a while so that's that's also just to follow playing with better his his game has always been suited to play with better teammates 
Yeah, he was, he's not someone Shocker. that was gonna. He's not someone that was gonna thrive playing with Isaac Lundstrom, playing playing with with Derek Jack Grant. Silverberg, playing with Derek Grant, playing with Max Jones. That's just not his game. Like you're you're putting a square peg into a round hole by putting him in that position. You need to have him play with skilled players because while he's not gonna be a play driver, he's a complimentary guy that is able to take advantage of the chances well, he, other he players clearly, help him get. He clearly adds value to that line right now. He's yeah, a, he's a he's a guy who can finish and who can yeah. find. Find offense. Yep. Yep. So, okay. Uh, want anything else, or want to get into some questions? Uh, I've seen a lot of Josh Mahara chatter tonight, and you've even mentioned it. And yeah, I mean, there's your case in point. Yep. Yep. I mean, you get him into a better system, get him into a team that that it knows what to do with him, put him with better line, better teammates, puts him in better positions. Um. All right. Brandon Montour. Pu- yeah, Brandon Montour looked so good. Um, <laughs> and he did not look good at all during his time in Buffalo. Also, a great uh, shout there. Uh, the Puff said, "Do you think the Ducks could break the record for shots?" And this is all from our Discord. We start with there always. Uh, it's our Patreon Discord. It said, uh, "Do you think the Ducks could break the record for shots against over the whole season with the rate we're going?" I'm thinking yes. Uh, what is the record? I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like we kind of have to know that to answer that question. Are you, you going to I'm going to go right with now? no. I'm, I'm gut check. I'm going to say no. I don't think they're going to stay this bad. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to say no also. I think they're going to find a way to right the ship a little bit here. Yeah. Um, Olaf is berserker said, why is Salas Akins the way he is? Great question. Like legitimately, we've been getting at this this whole podcast, but I don't understand these decisions he's making like, and I tried, like, I'm always trying to see, okay, what, even mm-hmm. if it's a decision I disagree with, what's the, there must be a rationale behind it. Yep. But, you know, putting, putting Mason McTavish back at the wing so that Glenn Godden can play center, who's a career AHLer, right? Like that, that yeah. one just, just broke me. Well, there's just a lot of questions. And even outside of that, there's questionable, questionable in-game decisions also, whether it's, for instance, they, they put Strom, Zegers, and Terry together for end-of-period shifts, and they have instant offense, and then they take them apart right away. Yeah. And, and, and whether it's uh, they're on the penalty kill to end the game last night, and instead of putting out their, their high-end guys and just ho- allowing them to press and get the puck back, they put out Isaac Lundstrom, they put out Jacob Silverberg, they put out Nathan Beaulieu, they put out Simon Benoit. Well, yes. Isaac Lundstrom did get a breakaway and did get a penalty shot off of it. After that, they weren't able to do anything because those are not guys that are able to retrieve pucks and transition the puck into the offense. They're meant to essentially be guys that can limit the quality of chance against. And so it's these questionable decisions uh, at various different points in time that continue to happen with with a lot of facets of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, So just wanted to add that in. Uh, Hey, Odifla said... What are the primary reasons the Ducks have struggled so much at 5-on-5 to start the season? My top three, incessant lineup juggling, playing Grant, and playing McTavish out of position. Yeah, I mean, I think that all three of those kind of overlap with with what we've been saying. Uh, Yeah, I I think a lack of D-zone structure at times also, which I think goes, I mean, in some ways, I think all these are interconnected. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's this big Venn diagram, but I do think, though, that at its core, even if you don't have the right line combos, you shouldn't be this bad, right? Yeah. Like, like th- that is a bigger issue that, you know, we don't really have the full time to dive into the film and see exactly what's going on out there. But the numbers are doing that work for us, and it's not pretty. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, SJ Hawking, let me ask you this. He he put this in our, our Twitch chat about this. Do you think Lindholm and Manson not being on this team 
are making a difference? Uh, it could, but let me ask you this. How good were the Ducks with Lindholm and Manson the last few years? Yep. How that, good were they at 5-on-5 five with Lindholm and Manson over the last and, few years? And I don't think the numbers really fell off that much, from what I recall, after they were traded away last year in terms of expected goals against, in terms of quality The Ducks against. just lost a lot of games, but... I, I just again if you goaltending goal fell off at if that you end if of the you year. only look at last season then sure you have a case that losing Lindholm and Manson is is what's killing this team but if you zoom out to the last three years they were on those teams that were bad they struggled and by the way Hampus Lindholm wasn't that good for the Ducks last season like he actually kind of struggled you know maybe that's because he was playing with a a, a not 20 year old Jamie Drysdale. I don't know, but I just don't really buy this argument that that's the only reason. Like, sure, if they were on this team right now, if you just foisted them onto the back end, the Ducks are probably better, but that's not how this works. Yep. All right. Moving on. Sorry, I just at least wanted to bring that up because I saw that in the, the Twitch chat. Uh, Duck Shagonet said question, uh, two questions for me. First, has John Klingberg failed to meet Met? Has he failed to meet? met or exceeded expectations for this season so far i think he's failed to meet them so far i I don't know if he's really met my expectations of him yeah he's been been too bad defensively i think that's fair i would say he's closer to met but that's also because i was expecting him to be a train wreck in his own zone but this probably is a bit worse than even i was expecting on that end it's just Um, it's it's below below anything i could have expected yeah, and said, also in the event that the Ducks continue to struggle and or get worse, is there an assistant coach on the team that they would likely fill the interim coach title for the rest of the season if Akins is fired? Well, the only Verbeek guy on that staff is Craig Johnson. Yeah, so, I mean, I could, but I think Stuthers is the only guy that has actual head coaching experience. I mean, not he's, in the NHL. He, he's the pure interim guy because I don't think there's any potential of him being the head coach afterwards mm-hmm. which is why i'd be more intrigued by craig johnson because at least you might think that there's some some potential there afterwards yep uh olaf is berserker said if you had to point to one and only one facet of the ducks uh game to address 13 games in what would it be and why to address yeah one facet just the forward lines yeah, that's that's I mean, it's like they're they're tying they're, they're they're trying to win a fight with one hand for no reason. Right. Like they're trying to do this the hard way. And if you were to just have a good top six, which the pieces are there, like this isn't some impossible dream for them to have a competent top six. I think that solves a lot of problems. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we got a couple of Twitter questions. Oh, really quickly. I'll add. I was going to say that, but I'll just add a different thing just to to add something. I would say fix the penalty kill. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the better answer. I, I mean, I was back and forth, honestly, between the two of them because I think the forward lines obviously make a big difference, but the penalty kill and how bad the penalty kill has been really has hurt this team and caused them to, to allow a lot of goals. Um, so, all right, let's get into this. Long question. This comes from even Wilder Wing. Uh, said, I know you guys have really made an effort to give Akins the benefit of the doubt this season, but at what point is he not even good for development? We've seen him uh, year after year scratch guys like Terry, Sprong, Milano, Zegers, McTavish, Mahura, etc. Not letting centers play center or start in the defensive zone or take faceoffs, all while running galaxy brain combinations or 11 forward and 7D and playing to get to overtime. 
Like, is any of this preparing guys for real situations in the NHL at all? Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. He really <laughs> let it out there. I appreciate even Wildbring. Met him when I was in Philly for the, the Flyers game that I went to last year. Yeah. Nice guy. So, so uh, yeah, shout out. Um, so, I think the question is, is Aikens bad for development? Yeah. I don't know if he's been bad for development. I just don't really see where he's helped guys kind of get to another level. You know, I think with Troy Terry, that's really your only example. Outside of that, you know, have have there been that many young guys who've taken this big step forward? You know, I don't think Lundestrom's really progressed. I know he scored 16 goals last year. Max Coltois, I mean, I don't think Dallas Aikens has done him many favors. Uh, so I think it's a mixed bag. I don't want to say he's been bad for the development, but it's a mixed bag. Yep. I would agree with that. Uh, let's see. Dalton key said question for the pod. Uh, do you think cam Fowler school will score eight goals this season? This is a, he's saying NHL 23 hut implications, hockey ultimate team implications here. What is the implication? I think he probably has him, and I don't know. There, there's probably something there with NA, hockey's ultimate team. In I would, NHL I would bet against it. How many look, goals has he scored? Look at season? look at Camp Fowler's last uh, what is it five years or something? 2017, 18, eight goals. 18, 19, five goals. 19, 20, nine goals. 20, 21, five goals. 21, 22, nine goals. He's due for a five goal year. It's happening. It's happening. You're calling it. Is this like Sam Steele getting six goals? <laughs> this is just pure, like, uh, like just dumb fantasy hockey logic, <laughs> like bad fantasy hockey logic. Wow. That is impressive that he's gone five, nine, five, nine. Yeah. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Follow the trend. I mean, to be fair, those five goal seasons came in nah, two years. We don't need to mention that. No, <laughs> no need to mention that. One of them was in the lockout don't, year. Don't let the so, facts get in the way. <laughs> So there's that. He was on pace for over five goals. Uh, I'm going to go. I'll be different than Felix. I'll say he will score over eight goals. Um, by the way, I just want to check in on our good pal Sam Seal and see if he's already broken his six goals or not. Uh, he currently. There's no way. He has two goals in 11 games. Holy crap. He, I mean, there's no way he's going to get above six. He's Is shooting he? 28%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I really hope he scores six goals this year. This I, is one of, like, my favorite things that we've discovered. I really discovered. hope he just sticks as an NHL player. Like That, I, too. I just so desperately want... Like, wouldn't it be kind of a funny narrative if every Ducks player who leaves just becomes good as soon as they get to a better situation? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be funny for most people, but for me, no. it'd be a little. Yeah, he's he's actually not been that good at five on five, so yep. I'll take it back. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, so let's get into Twitch questions, people. Please throw uh, questions in the Twitch chat when you've got them, and I'm trying to moderate our YouTube chat also. And same thing with YouTube. If you've got them, please throw a question at the front of it to make our lives a little bit easier to find those. But if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. It helps support the channel more than you can imagine. You can also do it if you just want to support us monetarily. You can do it on there. You can also give us bits on Twitch. YouTube, uh, if you want to help us there, subscribe to the channel. That will help us. That will give us the point where we can do super chats, where we can do all that different type of stuff. So please subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Go like and like the video, watch it there, everything like that. Um, so we got some questions in YouTube. 
Twitch, if you have them, throw them in there. Uh, let's see. Hannah Trainer said, do you think the Verbeek will keep Aikens for the rest of the season because he is waiting for a better coach to become available at the end of the year? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really... I still would probably bet against Aikens being fired during the season. But I got to say, if, if they just if they still aren't able to get a regulation win and, and things keep going this way, maybe there's the argument that, that, that a change is made. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Christian Batista said, you guys see Mahura having a little bit of an extra boost last night. And Ross Bowman also on the same note, and these are both from YouTube said, how do you feel about Mahura doing well in Florida compared to his results in Anaheim? Unsurprising. It seems like, you know, what the, the, Florida Panthers do really well is that they get these offensive minded defensemen to get, get them into their system and really have them play to their strengths. And, and their system is kind of built around these active D and, you know, the ducks talk about having active D and having them involved, but the Florida Panthers actually walk the walk. And so I'm not surprised, but it also goes to show though, that like there was a good player in there and just writing him off because he struggled in a three-game call-up or something was was always short-sighted. How much of that? Now this is obviously just fully um, speculative on our part. Okay. How much of that being waived do you think is a Dallas Aikens thing, and how much was a Pat Verbeek thing? Ooh, I, I would, I don't know. I mean, I think logically you would say Aikens because he's been with Mahara longer. He's yeah, seen him longer. Uh, but don't really have a way of knowing that. Yep, completely. Um, also, by the way, so we had this uh, Twitter comment uh, that I was, or uh, question, or not really a question, more so comment. Acoustic Walrus said, whereabouts would you place Troy Terry on the following three-point scale? One, not very good, two, vi- two good, or three, very good. You know, it, you know, I haven't said this this year, but you know, that Troy Terry, he might just be very good. Yeah. And by the way, so we're not saying that he's been great because of the points. Uh, it's because when he's on the ice, the Panthers oh, he... completely dominate five on five. Like he's at a 65. Just to give you some context. Like, who, no... who, who are we talking about here? Josh Mahura. Okay. Sorry. You transitioned no... from Troy Terry to that. Sorry. Yeah. Without sorry. adding context. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm reading the chat, but like no Ducks player right now is controlling over 50% of the play when they're out there. In terms of like the, sh- the shots, goals, all that, Josh Mahura is at sixty five percent, and of course that's not all him, but he's playing some damn good hockey. Like you can't be playing like trash and put up those kind of numbers. He's playing well. That's what it's about. Yep. Points, points come and go. Yeah, Bionic Chris had asked earlier in Twitch saying, "Is it now time to sound the alarms?" <sighs> not yet, not yet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna. Show some restraint here, because watching the last couple games, it, it has felt alarm, alarmy. Still going to give it a few more games, but the trend is not looking awesome. That's, yep. the, that's the issue. Yep. Would you say that your hand is starting to get a little bit closer to that panic button? <laughs> it's not fully hands-off, but it's getting closer. Like, put it this way. If, if the panic button is at the corner of my desk the right corner and my hands are in the middle, you know, by the keyboard, my hand is now slightly tilted. It's at, it's at one o'clock now, maybe two o'clock. 
but but for, for me to get to for me to get to that panic button, I have to be all the way at three o'clock. I don't see that happening. So you're thirty three percent of the way to the panic button. Yeah, there's still a long way to go. There you go. There you go. Um, Maybe twelve fifteen. All right. Well, <laughs> anything else hockey related? Because I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, oh I do want to. Oh, I, I do want to bring this up. Sorry, we got a question, so I want to bring this up from Firebites. Uh, if you're taking viewer questions, yes, we are. Uh, if we do get the first overall pick this year, do we trade down for something along the lines of the fourth overall pick and no. Simon Nemich? No. If you get the first overall pick, you take Connor Bedard and you don't trade it. Yeah, like Con- you don't even think about it. No, there, there, there's no thought. I think if you end up with a top three pick this year, you don't, you don't think about yeah, trading. No. Like, there's no trading that's happening. No. Uh, maybe even top four five like this is a deep this is a deep class um okay i do want to mention though i didn't even realize this but the oilers also changed their away jersey yeah it's no longer that stupid like navy and you know fluorescent orange yeah well shit how did i how how was i not made aware of this turns out you weren't paying attention by the way the i think the white pooh bear jersey for the bruins actually looks kind of good I, I don't really feel like uh, saying anything positive about the Bruins right now, so that's fair. Let's just, let's that's just fair. move. It's a move. picture of Patrice Bergeron, so you know. Yeah. Um. All right. I have a bone to pick with you. Okay. In our Discord today. Oh God. In our Discord today. In our food and drinks, R.I.P. Bobski's alcohol channel. You decided to put a takeout there. That said, and I'm trying to find it fully, uh, you had said barbecue is not very good. You're, or no, you said the only barbecue I'll eat is Lay's barbecue flavored chips, <laughs> insinuating that you don't like barbecue outside of barbecue <laughs> chips. I'm laughing at that take. And you know why I'm laughing at it? Because it was made in jest. It was made to be funny. It was made it, to incite. Don't Don't backtrack. I'm backtrack. Like I not it's not even a backtrack. Like I even said it's it's in the transcript which you omitted from your <laughs> uh your rec- your recitation there, but I said later on this comment is made in jest or this is a joke. Yeah, you said that after you were getting ratioed for it. No, it was away from keyboard. You know, I was I was doing other things, came back and thought, "Hey, like I said something earlier could be taken a different way. Don't want people to Get my my barbecue beliefs okay twisted. So will you set the record straight that you like barbecue outside of barbecue chips? Look, I've got nothing against barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like barbecue. I no issues. I was trying to do the like non-apology skirting around the issue, but I feel like that's not really funny these days. So yeah, I'm just gonna say that barbecue is great. I've had it in uh, Tennessee. I don't know if that Nashville, if that counts for anything. I've had Atlanta. It was good. Yeah, it's good. Is it the be all end all? We can have that debate, but it's good. There's a delicious barbecue place right down the street from me, and it's considered one of the best in Southern California. The, I think the issue is I just don't give a crap about cornbread. Um, yeah, that's a I bad do, take. But I do like mac and cheese, so that that balances it out. Uh, let's see. We just got a couple questions. This <laughs> Firebite said, who does he get on his Ducks reverse retro? He says he's thinking Zegris. Yeah, get Zegris. Mm, I mean, if you were going to go not Zegris, Terry, but the Zegris 11 is a, is a great look. 
All right. CCRIRCC said, how do you guys feel about Jeff Merritt calling Lundestrom the mini Bergeron in the latest 32 Thoughts podcast? Love Jeff, but he sticks to his guys, i.e. McTavish Lundestrom. Yeah, so I I enjoy listening to Jeff Merrick on different podcasts, but this is by far his worst take. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think you can love Jeff, but yeah, like you, like you can't hold this opinion if you actually watch Isaac Lundestrom play. Like, yeah, well, say, I, I, I think, that, if you, I think if you watch highlights of him, you can no, see, no, 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 no. Here's the reason watch why I'm saying Patrice that. Watch Bergeron highlights. No, no, no. Here's the reason why I'm saying that. If you watch the highlight packs of him where he's transitioning the puck and the couple of times where he's able to break through the defense, sure, but that's one out of maybe Look, 90. I, I appreciate that you're trying to give Jeff Merrick some, you know, some kind of uh, slack here, but I'm not going to give him any slack okay. because you cannot pose as a, you know, hockey connoisseur savant on the one of the top shows in the world relating to the sport and hold the opinion that Isaac freaking Lindstrom is a mini Patrice Bergeron who, oh, by the way, might it might be one of the greatest centers of all time like that is just so flagrantly wrong that i'm not going to give jeff merrick any benefit of the doubt here and he should apologize wow wow you just went off there <laughs> you've been holding that one for a while <laughs> it's bullshit don't say that stuff yeah, I disagree with the take. I won't go as far as you asking for an apology because everyone can have their own opinion. But well, here's the thing, though. You can't like everyone can have an opinion. Sure. That's that's like saying water is wet. I don't like duh, whatever. But you can't you can't be like this expert on the sport on the top show in the you know the top podcast and say something that's just so a foul of reality. You just can't. You can't. You're just going for it. CCRICC, you you brought this out of Felix. You brought this anger. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. There you go. There you go. I will just say I love Jeff Merrick. I disagree with the take. And that's it. Coward. Am I? Coward. Am I, though? Uh, I'm just angry because the Warriors suck. There you go. Felix is taking out his anger on other people. (laughs) Um, Anything else that you have to say? Hmm. Uh, man. Go check out the Sporting Tribune. That's yeah, one ch- thing we should ch- say. Check out the Sporting Tribune. If the Ducks are, if you know, if the Ducks are keeping you down, we're gonna try to uplift. We're gonna try to provide some interesting things about this team. We haven't written a lot over the last couple of years, but this will be a fun way for us to get back on the the bike there. And you know, if you're really bored of the Ducks, those those pesky Habs, these Habs. Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. They are fun to watch. They are actually legitimately fun ooh, to watch. Ooh, 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 ooh. I got something I want to add really quickly. So uh, don't make this about LAFC. No, I was I mean, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, Los Angeles is black and gold, everyone. I hope you I hope you know that. Um no, where I was actually gonna go with that, uh, outside of your uh you bring that up. So neither of us really look at points that often, right? Especially this early in the season. Neither of us really look oh, at overall me. production. I, I did have something else, but continue. Troy Terry has 17 points in 13 <laughs> games. Really? Yeah, exactly. 
Oh my god. He has seven like he is one, on pace. One one hit wonder. Like and he's doing it with twelve percent shooting. I mean, this is exactly what we talked about, right? Yeah. This is this is like cut and paste what we said about Troy Terry that his on ice shooting percentage, his individual shooting percentage is probably going to drop to a more normal average. He's not going to shoot in the twenty some odd percentage, but yeah. his on ice shooting percentage is probably going to balloon up because he's going to end up on the ice with guys that can finish the puck. We're seeing that with Trevor Zegras having a lot of goals. You're seeing that with uh, Max Comto having a decent amount of goals. Ryan Strom has four goals. Um, like this is what happens is that his, his shooting's going to go down. Other people's shooting is going to go up. And we're seeing that with five goals and 12 assists for Troy Terry. Yeah, he, he has, has, he has as many assists as the next guy's points. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trevor's egress up and I mean, before last night's game was at a point per game pace. Also, he's at 12 points in 13 games. Like he's also putting up points. If you put those two together, they're both going to be well over a point per game. Yeah. I think it's so funny how like points can paint this kind of weird picture of the team because ryan strom is 10 points you know you would think oh he's got to be one of the better players so far john klingberg is seven points you know it, it's just interesting that man the different realities that this these can by the way though mason mctavish having seven points in the ice time he's gotten is, is pretty impressive yeah um yeah troy terry is gonna get paid like if he grant he, he deserves needs to keep it. up he needs to keep up the scoring he has 41 shots on goal in 13 games yeah, let's see. What's the highest point total all time in Ducks history in a season? Oh, let me guess. Um, I would guess it's Timo Solani. 109 points from Timo Solani in 96-97. That tracks. Yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, if Troy Terry plays every game, he's on pace for 116 points. Wow. Like, it's early that this pace probably yeah. isn't going to continue. There's going to be slumps. There's going to be all that stuff. But that just shows you how prolific track. how prolific he's been for these first 12 games. I think, like, we can, I think we can say that it's sustainable because just the way he drives offense and, you know, he's shooting 12%. And, you know, the year before he, he really popped with that 19% shooting percentage, he shot, what was it, 12 or 10%? So he might not be this, like, really low shooting percentage guy anyway like his yeah. floor might be higher than we thought it was yeah so I mean, yeah he has a really good shot it like guys like that are able to shoot above and he league doesn't average. he doesn't waste opportunities either like he's a, he's a guy who's, well, who likes to set up his shot you yeah you get the thing is when you look at overall shooting percentage it does neglect shooting location and that's where expected goal comes in and you look at the location that troy terry is able to get a lot of shots from they're from dangerous spots typically yeah yeah so, so okay what, what were you gonna say uh i have two things actually um number one is that we should mention i think alex ovechkin got his he's at 787 now goals wise i think he passed some kind of record that gordy howe held i do not know i think it was most goals with one franchise or something like oh, that that makes sense but he is now 14 goals away from from well he's He's 13 goals away from 800, which would make him the third player ever to have 800 yeah. goals in NHL history. Do you think this happens? And if this happens, and by this, I mean, does he pass Wayne Gretzky, 894? Uh, where do you have him in the all-time rankings if Alex Ovechkin ends up passing Wayne Gretzky? I think regardless of if he passes Gretzky or not, he's the no, greatest but goal. No, but no, no, I'm saying like in a top 10, Mount Rushmore, whatever you want to call it, 
where where do you have him in the pecking order if he ends up being the greatest goal scorer of all time, like statistically, not just? I mean, I think so, he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. I know, already, but, but like, for him to pass um, Wayne Gretzky, like he'd have to get pretty much nine hundred goals. That's a shit ton. I would probably put him. Oh, it's tough. Yeah, it is tough, but it makes it's, you think. It, I think he's for. Sh- I think he has to be top five, and I think Crosby also has to be top five. I think. I think Crosby and McDavid are both top five. Is Crosby second ever? I mean, that's yeah, hard. That's that, really hard. That's hard because of the the games played for Crosby and, and Lemieux. I think that Lemieux is probably second behind Gretzky. Just I think when it's, you look at that, I, I think it's Gretzky and Lemieux one two. And then probably Crosby, McDavid, Ovechkin. Yeah, I mean, you can make a case for Yarmir Yager. Um, I think I think Yager is behind those guys. A lot of people have Bobby Orr up there, but like as much as I love the Bobby Orr story, it's I can't have a guy who played eight seasons above an Ovechkin or a Crosby. Like that's just unfair. Will Connor McDavid get close to any league record? Well, so there there was a uh, stat posted earlier. That if you look on at the points per game, yeah, the first 500 games. I don't know if you saw this. No, I haven't yet, but I think I know where you're going. Yeah, so in their first 500 games, uh, McDavid is at 722 points. Crosby was at 706, which is kind of crazy to think that they're that close. But yeah, yeah, he's got a shot at something. Yeah. yeah. So okay, um, let's end with this. Firebites asked with Henrique's good oh, start. Second oh. thing. Second thing. You said that Seinfeld is massively oh. overrated. Did I say massively overrated? You well, you maybe didn't say massively, but at every opportunity to to walk it back and to apologize, you instead doubled, tripled, quadrupled, quintupled, sextupled, heptupled down. Is it doubling down if I'm just saying the same thing that I don't like it? You should apologize. No, it, and not only is it that you said that it's overrated. <laughs> but Here we go. You've said that other shows, which I'm not going to name out of respect, uh, are better, and they just aren't. I mean, you've uh, said that It's Sunny is better, for example. I, I think It's Sunny is better at what it is, because I think they're very similar shows and they're gra- Th- that, general that just, concept. That just doesn't even track. Of being horrible people and what they do. <laughs> just, so, just, just doesn't track. I'm just, I just don't like Seinfeld. There are lots of shows I enjoy a lot more. It's not something that caters to my, what I enjoy. Uh, that's it. You know, subjective, false. subjective. False. You're a false person. It's subjective. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, fire, fire, note. fire bites asked with Henrique's good start. Do you think there will be some calls coming to Anaheim asking what the ducks would want? If we retain, probably not contract. I think if they retain, Final year. Oh. I think it's he's final got, year. He's got one year, two years. He's got one year after this. Oh, he does? Okay, never mind. Yeah, For some reason, I, I, I convinced myself that he had, this is final year, but no. You're right. I, I think that probably it will be low if it's final year. There we go. People are coming to my side of dragging you for this this Seinfeld take. No. Nope. Nope. No. Subjective. You know? I don't... I, there are just so many shows. How I Met Your Mother, I like a whole lot more. I don't know. I don't like cringe that much. Maybe that's it. Like, I respect The Office. That That's why I don't love The Office completely, but I respect it a lot. Uh, you you like The Office better than Seinfeld. I do. 
And I would have you know that The Office exists because of Seinfeld. I mean, The Office exists because of the British office. I just, I don't know. I don't know what to do sometimes. I mean, it genuinely exists because of the British yes, office. Yes, but the, the, the genre, the, the, the strides oh, made. This podcast is just never going to end. Because I, I have another thing to bring up. Okay. About the, uh, this is actually about the ducks. So well, we're ending. We're, we, we started early tonight, so we're we're ending with a relevant topic. Going going late is not as damaging as usual. Does Dallas Akins need to hire, or do the Ducks need to hire a new video review coach to help <laughs> Dallas Akins? This has been your this has been your bone to pick. Every review that's happened, Got and granted, wrong. they're niche. These are niche rules within the rule. Well, they're, but, not, they're not really niche, though. Like, if you're someone that's in charge of making that, that yes, call, true. like, no it, rule is really niche at that yeah, point. Yeah, true. Like, the, I was wrong when on my initial read of the, the Vancouver play. It was an open puck and rebound, which allows incidental contact within the crease. I get why they ruled that a good we're gonna goal. Get, we're going to get hate now for this, oh, this, probably. this segment you're about to go Probably. Offside. It is legitimately written in the rule that if the guy is going to make a line change and both skates are off the ice and the linesman is deemed that he is making the change, he is no longer part of the play once both skates are off the ice. Like, these are all just written out within the rule book, and Dallas Aikens got all three wrong over this past week. I think think the hard thing is that he's getting it wrong on things that aren't, like, really up for debate. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, some people, a lot of people will say that these, it, the debate is what, what is considered incidental or not. But sure. I think that one, you have your biggest fight, but like the offside thing, for example, it's pretty know. cut and dry. Yeah. Like where's the, where's the debate there? Yeah. Poker yeah. puck says no real Gibson talk tonight. I mean, he was good last night. Um, well, he played well, I said, in he, the Van- he, I said in the Vancouver game, like, I, I kind of went on a little tirade on Twitter about him in that game, and that led to some backlash. Um, yeah, like he's he didn't have a great game against Vancouver. Was he the re- like? Here's what I want to say again and again and again. I'm going to say it until I turn blue in the face. But me saying John Gibson or you saying not John Gibson is not playing well or is struggling does not mean to say that he is the reason that 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 games are are lost. Like the team can play poorly in front of him and he can also play poorly and that can contribute to the problem. Like I people have such a hard time with this concept, but that is the truth. Even if a team is playing poorly in front of you, the goalie can also have a bad game. And yeah, like that's part of the context. We must acknowledge when the team plays poorly in front of him, but if the premise is that he's this elite goaltender, you gotta you gotta bail your team out sometimes. You gotta elevate the floor, and and he's done that in some games. But he's had some stinkers. He's had some goals let in that are complete stinkers, like ones where he just loses them from distance. Uh, but anyway, I just I just don't want people to get this false impression or start drumming this false narrative that we think Gibson is the, is the root of all ills here. Not 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 the case. Correct. Yep. Uh, Stol- Stolarz was very good in the second San Jose game. Not, was great, not great in the, fir- in the yeah. first one. Yeah. No. So I, I just I think, think Gibson should play less, and not yeah. because I think he's bad, just because he's got to. He's he's just got to rest. Like it's just too much. 
Yeah, and Stolarz has shown that he's able to front, uh, take on some of that load. Stolarz is very kind of, he can be very hot and cold, but... Yeah, and you need to see yeah. what you have more in him at this point in time. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just think that there needs to be a shift there. But anything else now that we're an hour and a half in, I've been saying anything else for probably a half hour. Um, I think we should wrap this up. I like the orange pants, but I agree that black pants should be like if these were permanent it should be black pants there we go thank you you finally agree with me no i've agreed with this and an hour 28 into the podcast you agree with a take of mine the orange is perfect for what it's meant to be but it's not like a sustainable look i'm glad we can agree on that do we (laughs) 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 i just hate the fact that the golden state warriors might be terrible okay I'm, I'm, <laughs> let's wrap this up okay well thank you for listening everybody hope that uh your daylight savings lack of daylight savings is not uh keeping you down here i know it's dark early but there's still plenty of reason to enjoy the next couple months watching hockey with us and if you want to help us keep this thing going there's a couple of easy ways to do so the number one way is to check out our patreon patreon.com slash crash the pond Uh, If you pledge a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server, which I feel like we mention at least 78 times a show, and with good reason. It's a lot of fun. We get to interact with diehard Ducks fans, people that genuinely have just become friends of ours, and we're really proud of this little community we've got going there, and it's an open door. Anyone can join. Of course, it costs you a dollar a month, but you will benefit from it, especially if you're someone who maybe doesn't quite enjoy the uh, sometimes adversarial nature that can be twitter or reddit or what have you it's a it's a great place to be now for five dollars a month you get access to that and in addition you get two bonus podcast episodes a month we'll do nhl talk like more league wide we'll go deeper into the ducks whatever it is maybe it's a little more unfiltered too sometimes adult beverages are involved that's for five dollars a month that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond as jake takes a sip of something it's a spin drift yeah, that's a week. Um, <laughs> but you can also support us by checking us out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just search Crash the Pond there and leave us a rating and a review. It just takes a couple minutes, but it does go a long way. And if you leave us a review, we love those. We'll read it on the show. We'll have fun with it. Um, so check us out on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. Oh, sorry. Really quick. I want to say this. Late Arrivals gave us a really big shout out last week, so I want to oh. give them give them that back. And they said uh, we do a really good job of portraying analytics and everything like that. So I want to say if you want to be in for a good time, go listen to Late Arrivals. They they have a really fun time over there. They have a fun show. Go check it out. I think they typically go lives on live on Tuesdays. Yeah, what I love about that show is that you know they don't take themselves too seriously. They just have fun. They do have some solid takes too. And it's just a good time. So I would definitely recommend that that show. Uh, the live version is really fun, as I've as I've experienced. It, with if like, you want to see Felix troll people, go watch the live version. <laughs> yeah, so go check them out. Uh, but check out our YouTube. Uh, subscribe there. Turn on your notifications. And Jake already mentioned it, but check out the Sporting Tribune. Uh, the SportingTribune.com. We'll be posting articles there. Uh, we're, we're trying to give you guys the Ducks coverage that... Uh, it's maybe a little missing right now in, in the world. Uh, also, check out our website, crashthepond.com. We've got a shop there. We've got t-shirts, coffee mugs, uh, stickers, everything you could possibly want. 
Find us on Twitter at Crash the Pond. Jake is on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye.